I think where I go now. Wait, so did the first intro not count? Oh, the first intro counted, but okay. With the magic of editing, so so we are people going to make it work. Actually, that thirty seconds of silence is just a multimedia thing. Oh no, I just didn't know if the people noise. at home were going to hear me scratching the mic. No, that we can actually cut out. Wow, thankfully they're lost. I know, right? You scratch. I mean, I could hear it on there. my end. It had like a little whistling noise. It was that bad. I have a job for you. Okay. You need to say something interesting, tag yourself, and set up our Facebook live feed. Okay. How While can we I do get that? this job? I'm the guest. <laughs> because you're almost a co-host now. I know. I've, I th- have I been on this show more than anyone else? Actually, you know what? I take that back. You have. I believe you are our most seasoned guest. I'll take <gasps> that back. So I am going to... I just wrote the letter H. H. Oh. <laughs> Just go live with the letter H. Just go, yeah, that's it. Just go live with the letter H. So we're going to lead in with an ESP012 special edition trans political updates. Finally. Yes. And then we're also going to get into Gobekli Tepe, which is going to be a segue into a very specific retro game. And then the rest of the show is going to be retro gaming, officially all retro gaming. We're going to go mostly PS1 games, I think. I mean, I think that's fair. Uh, gaming in the 90s in particular was very, very open-ended and Wild West. Uh, I feel that's more so with the PlayStation. And I mean, you're also seeing the end of like the console wars with Sega being the first casualty. There's a lot of this. And... For anyone that's just listening, we were sort of doing robotic, robotic blocky motions. Right. We are We are living living up tank movements yes. right now tank movements i love it mm. so we're going to start with a political update regarding the trans community i think this is more local so massachusetts new england right so correct? this is really for the people who are here to hear me like right. this is why this is, this this is why is you're all here <laughs> you don't have any national updates right this is all mostly local right this is okay, all perfect. mostly local so i'm going to go live on our facebook while you do that this is only going to take about 30 seconds so my apologies for being rude and look at my Oh, no, it's fine. Phone. I can talk forever, if given the chance. But this is going to allow us to pop in and say hello to our Facebook audience. Oh, so also, don't forget our Twitter away. fans. Well, your Twitter fans. Twitter fans I actually didn't contact because I don't have my tablet, but oh. Tumblr was contacted. Oh, excellent. Hopefully they remember the links. Actually, I'm sure. the link to the show is on the banner for my Tumblr. So if you see the advertisement via the selfie that we just took for our podcast and can't figure out that it's literally the banner of my page. But then again, some people just see the the update in the feed. Right, they're here just to look at page, Really, just look at us. Yeah, the, Let's links, be real. Are, the links are there. <laughs> so, yeah, I figured this is a good opportunity to kind of just discuss where we are uh, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts uh, regarding the trans community. Admittedly, there is a lot that could be said about the state of everything on a national level. But for a lot of people, everything that's been happening here in Massachusetts is obviously going to impact them far more quickly, far more directly. Now, as you know, the ballot question that has been um, a point of contention since Governor Baker signed the transgender um, anti-discrimination law into effect um, finally has a number – and the questions are finally given aside. Now, Deval Patrick also signed an executive order in 2016, correct? No, that was Protecting 2011. 2011. I believe. Um, okay. 2016 was Governor Baker. Deval Patrick was Ooh, long since gone. Good for Baker. <laughs> Where have you been? Do you even listen to me? No. Your most favorite yes. guest? Of course I do, George. <laughs> um, There's just so much information that I'm constantly processing with all of our different guests. That's all right. I'm a living Wikipedia engine. Okay. So exactly. that's why you're here to refresh my I'm just kidding. But I might need I might need a refresher every once in a while. Oh, it's fine. And I might just say refresh my memory on such and such. Oh, it's fine. 
That's what I'm Political here for. whatever it is. I, that's what I'm here for. Bills, legislature. That's why people. That's why people can't stand uh, long car rides with me. Eventually, it just devolves into me reciting various bill numbers and um, facets of information about them. So, here in Massachusetts, the question of whether or not we are going to preserve the gender identity anti-discrimination law that has been in effect since 2016 will be officially question number three on the November ballot. Question number three. Vote yes on three. Thank you. That's Affirm the next thing. Rights. Vote yes on three. That's the next point of interest was that for the longest time, we weren't sure if it was going to be a vote yes or a vote no. Um, the way it was going in, I think once earlier uh, when I've been a guest on your show, I said it was a no vote. That's since changed. Initially, when the signatures to repeal the law were collected, my understanding of the question, which was also reinforced by Ballopedia's understanding of the question. And if you've never heard of Ballopedia, it's a fantastic nonprofit organization dedicated on tracking every political race across the country, um, statewide. Give us that name one more time. Ballopedia. Ballotpedia. Uh, Ballotpedia. Fantastic organization. I advise you to check them out. They talk a lot about um, elections, judicial policy, um, regular policy after the elections are over and things have been signed and brought into effect and things like that. It's just a great resource. But even Ballotpedia was reporting on it as no being the way to vote if you wanted to preserve the law. That has since changed. A yes vote is officially a vote to preserve the current law. A no vote would be the vote to repeal the current law. Obviously... Which is confusing, and I think that was the point. Right, the right. Because going into this, you have an organization that was collecting signatures to repeal the law, so reasonably you would think that, well, voting yes would be voting yes with this organization that wants to repeal the law. Voting no would be voting no against this organization. That is, in fact, not the case. But there also is some other information that I wanted to kind of use this moment to talk about regarding the ballot question as well. Now, for the longest time, we I were had to living. Take another photo for a Tumblr because I made a mistake with the Tumblr feed. So, oh yeah, do you continue? Okay, just because the Tumblr feed will not work without a photo, so you have to submit some kind of a photo. So. Sure, no problem. Um, right, right, right. I figured I would at least put my best pose into it. Work it, girl. Okay. So yes. my apologies. Continue. <laughs> so on the topic of the question, uh, we have been living in an absolute black hole when it came to polling data on this. And if anyone knows me, um, I am a huge polling nerd. I stand for polls. I love the data. I love the cross tabs. Show me the cross tabs. I don't want pictures. I want Spider-Man. Um, but since then, there has been. I think we've been looking at two polls since the last one done in 2016. Uh, maybe three at this point um, from a couple different organizations. And this is very useful because it has given us an understanding of where we are at the moment with the question. And if you, deep, if you dig deep into the crosstabs, there is some fascinating data to be pulled from it. In particular... And I talked about this on my Twitter in some detail, and I'll try and give an abridged version now. But looking back at the polls from 2016, you had the question being, I believe the question was, would you support a law that would allow someone to use a restroom or facility consistent with their gender identity? And if memory serves, it was 52% in favor of such a law, 30% opposed to such a law. So that kind of set us up where they're going with the question. Um, it kind of gave us a base level to start with. And since then, the next poll that came out, which was earlier, earlier this year, uh, flipped it on its head insofar as it was asking, would you support repealing the law that did the aforementioned, or would you oppose repealing a law that did the aforementioned? So I had to kind of flip the data to get there. But, oh no, I mean, it. polling firms do that all the time, but 
Um, it was also a different polling agency, so the crosstabs weren't necessarily the same, necessarily the same in how they did their tables. Um, in the first one's tabulations, they were looking at um, you know a, a slew of information, party affiliation, um, age demographics, uh, levels of education. Do you want to get a photo? Is that what you're doing? No, this is just a live feed. Okay. So I'm giving oh, it to you to okay. strategically place in the location of your choosing. Oh, oh. Probably all where right. the tablet usually goes. I feel bad for the people who are listening right now because I just keep talking about what polls are and how they work and not at all anything about what they want to hear. Uh, I'll just scooch closer to you. Perfect. So, to round up my point, I tried to take, I tried to parse yes. the data the best that I could so it would be as consistent as possible. And in some of the newer polls that we that came out, um, they were done the same way as the first poll was done. So looking at that, what I found particularly interesting was that support for preserving this anti-discrimination law pertaining to gender identity has waned a little bit from those voters who identify with the Democratic Party. It okay, is also so this is interesting. So why? That makes absolutely zero sense to me. Um, there's do we, do we have any speculation as to why? Or Well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, and it, if you look in the tabulations, um, the why... Good word. <laughs> I forgot to do my eyebrows, by the way. I just noticed. Oh, you look fine. The why, to, as far as I'm concerned, is to be found in the age demographics you're seeing a lot of and i don't mean anything bad by this but you're seeing a lot of people who fall under the boomer generation mm -hmm. who tend to be kind of solidifying in opposition at the moment to preserving the anti-discrimination law whereas you see a lot of people who kind of fall in with the millennial generation and with the gen y generation lining up behind preserving the anti-discrimination law Amusingly, if you go further past the boomer generation, wait a minute, say that one more time because I think so. The the you know, older you know Gen Y and millennials, the older generation of boomers is they want to allow discrimination or they're against discrimination. Boomers want to repeal the anti discrimination law. Okay, okay. Boomers want to repeal the at least a majority law. of boomers. Uh, it's something like including um, including. Democratic baby boomers? Well, you, you asked why I think that there has been um, a cooling of support from voters who identify okay. with the Democratic Party. Okay. And that would be my first guess because okay. when you consider how many people identify as Democrats in the Commonwealth and how many people identify as unenrolled slash independent voters, which is the next largest block that has been cooling, the sheer number – and it wouldn't take much – to make that big of a difference, but the sheer number of just even a small handful um, falling firmly on one side versus another would cause that kind of sway. Um, though amusingly, if you go past the boomers into the generation even before that, um, they tend to be in favor of preserving the anti-discrimination law. So there, there's some really interesting data to be had from that. And to go it a step further and look on the opposite side at Republicans, Republican support for keeping the anti-discrimination law in Massachusetts. In right? Massachusetts, okay. so we're talking this about all Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Okay, um, I was I was going to say I feel like this doesn't hold up in other states, especially more red states. Oh, you'd be surprised if you actually oh. dig into the data. Um, but here in Massachusetts, Republican support for preserving the anti-discrimination law has doubled, and. Wow. The most recent poll. Partly, in, partly thanks to you, I think. You've been really uh, hitting the ground with that. I'm not going to take credit for that. There have actually I think been... you can take a little bit of credit. That that photo of you at CPAC well, really almost it went as viral as it could be. I'm a CPAC party crasher. I'm there. I've been there for a few years in a row now. They, they, they're getting bored with me. I'm, I can tell. Um, CPAC party crasher. I like that. <laughs> well... No, I, and I won't take credit. And if you are going to give me credit, in fairness, we also have to give a number of other Republican legislators credit as well, okay. because there are a number of Republican legislators on Beacon Hill right Again, now. Again, unique to Massachusetts. Unique to Massachusetts. So far. So far. Maybe we can change that. It's Massachusetts insofar as there's a noticeably large number of them that are actively meeting with people and trying to change hearts and minds. But there are a number of Republicans who are okay with trans people. What a concept. And 
of these, those that have leadership positions or elected positions are using their positions to to reach new people and have conversations that others may not necessarily be able to do as easily. So you're saying it's mostly the baby boomer generation and generation Y that is that is sort of has some sort of a stigma against trans folks? No, Gen Y and the millennial generation. And you know what? I'm, I actually wonder, what would Gen Y be the millennial generation? Uh, there was a bit of, I think it might be Gen Z. I'm sorry, Gen Z and the millennial generation. I think Gen Y actually. So I haven't encountered. Gen Y, I think, is us because of Y2K. Right. So it's Gen Z and the millennial generation. My apologies for earlier. Uh, obviously, we want to preserve the anti-discrimination law as a whole, as a demographic. Baby boomers at the moment want to see it repealed as a whole, as a demographic. And Why? well, there's there's a number of reasons. Doesn't make any sense. Oh, well, well, no. I mean, there are a number of reasons, and it differs by the individual. But depending on where they get their source of information about trans people from, obviously, younger mm. generations uh, are living in the moment as this is all happening. Right. They're growing up, and they're meeting, and they're getting to know trans people and queer people in general, our community in general, they're getting to know them on a personal level and they're getting to hear our stories yeah, and our experiences. Stopping. And that's a big way of genuinely changing someone's hearts and minds. Um, or rather, from the get-go, showing them that, well, these are people just like us because we are all the same. Um, just because someone has a, a different sexual orientation or a gender identity, um, that's different from the identity that they were assigned at birth doesn't make them any different than someone who would identify as a, 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 a cishet. And that's the rational way of thinking. Right, right, right. But with the boomer generation, these are people who have been experienced to um, decades where this wasn't the case. So some of these people have these notions and these understandings of the community that are either dated or just outright incorrect and that's not their fault at all either. That's just they're a product of when they grew up. Of, they're a product of the information that they received when they were growing up and their experiences as well. <sighs> and that's why it's also harder to kind of reach this demographic. And also very Im important, very crucial that we reach boomers because they are the ones who had these experiences growing up that that made them feel and make them vote the way they do now. And we have to overcome that by reaching out to them and being prepared to have the awkward conversations and the patience needed to kind of address their concerns and their misconceptions that they have about our community. So how do we open these dialogues, though? What's the best way to open dialogues with boomers? Because well, there's very, there's not that many of us in the community. We exist in small pockets throughout the world, but it's a matter of how do we engage with, with professional, because not, not every trans person is professional in the way that I mean because we're trying to think of how to say this because this is we're just like everyone else we really are right it doesn't we're not special or unique we we just are we just happen to be trans trans does not define us so that being said there are individuals who are trans mm -hmm. Who are just not good with public speaking? Who are not good well, with there communicating? Are individuals who are who are cisgendered, who are yes. cis, who, who are not good with public speaking and so, all that. I mean, it's, it's not yet it's right. an innate so human trait to sometimes my, be terrible at public speaking. My point is that not every trans person is going to be an ideal candidate to go out and reach out to communicate with the individuals that have a stigma regarding the LGBTQA or the trans community. So that being said, it's not going to be, it's not a matter of just finding the trans people in your community because the trans person or people that you may find in your community, whether they're male to female, female to male, non-binary, gender non-conforming, anything in the spectrum, they might not be the best candidate to talk, to speak with. And that's okay. So how do we get, so how do we get the individuals within the trans community that are professionally trained in communication or that are just naturally talented with communication how do we get those individuals to go out and do outreach or the individuals who have formal training in either politics or the public or public service or academics and communication to go out and outreach with these people? Well, it doesn't necessarily need to fall on just our community to do the outreach. I mean, that's why we have allies. 
the people who we and the been, allies that's correct the people who who we have been making connections with and have been getting to know along the way as an ally please if you see something like this taking place if you see casual and not so casual transphobia casual and not so casual homophobia um as an ally we need you to also address it in the moment as well. Yes, like this we is great. Thank up. you. I mean, it's very important that your allyship doesn't just end with what happens between you and a friend who happens to be a member of the queer community. Your allyship also must continue once your friend is no longer around, when it's you and a bunch of your other friends who happen to also be cisgender, um, heterosexual individuals. You So a lot of it need, comes down to the allies. Right. The allies are going to play a big role. Um, the trans community, obviously, we're going to share the majority of the burden. We are going to shoulder pretty much most of this going forward. And for those of us who don't want to be put out in the open, you shouldn't feel like you need to be put out into the open. I want to make that clear right now. That That's true as well. That we shouldn't force exactly, people. Exactly, which is who, the other part of my point. Right. We shouldn't force people who don't want to be taking this kind of front page um, exactly. role to do that if that's not something they feel comfortable exactly. with. Exactly. There are plenty of us who are able to to get involved and take that role, but they also may have skills that could be extremely useful elsewhere. That's true too. And those people who don't feel comfortable doing something a bit more public, by all means, if you have a skill and you want to get involved with something like preserving um, your basic rights, uh, use that skill that you and have vote. in the best way you can. And vote this November. Well, obviously, vote, voting yes, voting is very important. Affirm we should always vote, no matter, no matter where you stand on any issue. And thank you to you Lizbeth for coming on the show and talking about this as well. Right. Oh, you know what? I'm so jealous thank that you, you to got to talk, to talk to Lizbeth. It was, I, we, it was fun. We only, I only talked to her on social media. I don't think we've ever actually met in person. Really? Yeah, we, we, we talk on social media, but I, I mean... Thought, I thought you were... Like sort of contacting on the reg as far as politics and things like that were confirmed. Oh, I talked to Jackie Concerned. Ryan pretty frequently. Um, Talk to who? Jackie Ryan. How did you get? How did you get in with Blair White on Facebook? All right, I know you're going to bring this up. I, I, I literally just added Blair, um, and then she accepted. There, there's no like super mystery to that. Um, I some of her videos are really funny. Well, she she does some she has really a good, good personality for some of her views are not. Good, but some of them are. Some of my views are terrible, I'm yeah. sure. Um, I, disagree, I disagree with her on a lot of things, but there's some things that I listen to her and I respect her for what she does. Well, I mean, it's, like I said, anyone who puts themselves out there. It takes a lot of courage to boldly declare your views, confidently declare your right. views. But she's doing something that she feels comfortable and confident doing. Uh, I had asked her. She's not Tommy Laren. Any sort of, Tommy Lahren is just. We are oh. going all over the place with this now. Well, because we think of we think of <laughs> confident, beautiful women that are members of the. Well, I don't see members of the GOP that are conservative in their views. That's the thing. Blair does something that she's good at, and she does it well. Uh, I had asked Blair in one of our live chats in the past. Do you ever you see yourself? Chatted with her as well. Well, it was like a big group thing. Wow. I'm not. <laughs> trust me, I'm not that um, notable. Outside of Massachusetts. We need to consider a segue soon, too, as well. We will. I mean, you took me so far off base. I want to get back to, like, yeah, pulling no, for, like, 20 great, more seconds, I promise. Um, but I do want to just finish up that Blair bit by saying I had asked her in one of her big group live chats that she has with her with her viewers, um, would you ever consider running for office? Is electoral politics something you see in your future? And that's something she does not want to do. At the time, she said she was completely uninterested and that wasn't her thing. And I think that's a good example of someone doing something that they enjoy and that they're good at for a cause that they believe in while not doing something that may also be useful, but they wouldn't necessarily have the same passion to do. And I think that's important going forward that if you want to help out, as I said, do something that you are passionate about and that you think can help. Don't just you know, force yourself to do things if you think you're not going to be an adequate resource or you're going to do it passionately. There are people out there, uh, my friends uh, in Freedom for All, Massachusetts, who are canvassing every weekend, every weekend, doing the really hard, gritty stuff of just knocking on doors as proudly open trans people and That's allies. That's We need more of that. Right, but more grassroots, more door to door. They are out there, more and they are doing this more really shows like this. terrible if you work. Podcast. If you're trans or an ally, you are involved with social media, multimedia. 
go out there and get your voice heard. Um, Freedom, they're doing all of this really gritty grass grassroots stuff. And you shouldn't feel like, well, if you can do it, you should definitely join them and help out. Yes. They are always looking for more people. But don't force yourself because they're always venues for you to use your skills to be very effective in helping their mission. Reach out to them. See what else they need. Get involved with like data entry or um, or as a faith leader or as someone who is completely ready to do like phone banking. I mean, canvassing is just one of those things where you have to be confident with going to someone's house and knocking on their door and then pitching a cause. But if that doesn't sound fun to you, phone banking, faith leading, data entry, um, op-ed writing, there's so much you can do and you should get involved if this is a cause that's ex- if this is a cause that you find worthwhile. Yes. And as trans Go women, we find out. it extremely worthwhile. <laughs> yes. Vote yes on 3. Vote yes on 3. Anyway, um, to finish off this segment, because I know we want to like transition into the next one, the Republican Party in Massachusetts. Last time I checked the polls, we had I, it was a fifteen point uptick in support for the anti discrimination law. Perfect. Like, we are looking at forty one percent. Did you get this off of the your sources or from the poll? Oh, this site? was through WBOR. Okay. Um, what was the poll said again? One more time. Well, th- this WBOR, the most recent one, this one, I believe, was consistent with the one asked all the way back in 2016 that asked, do you support keeping um, the gender identity anti-discrimination law? Like that was a yes to keep it, no to scrap it. And for Repu- identified Republican voters, 41% were in favor of keeping it. 41% were in favor of scrapping it. That's extremely good for um, a Republican Party in a state. And I think we need to kind of foster that. And we need to reach out to those supporters, both on a grassroots level, on a party leadership level, and on an elected level, and be there for them as well. I mean, obviously, this is kind of like my thing. This is why I do what I do in my line of work. But when there are Republicans who do that and who stick themselves out there and who fight the good fight for full equality and freedom, they need to be supported. They need to be reinforced. Uh, We need to let them know that if they're going to do this, we're going to have their backs when people come for them for supporting this. Because this is going to be the kind of thing where we need a very broad and diverse coalition to win. It's one thing to squeak out a win only to have it attacked by another group uh, a few months later like what's happening now and it's a completely different thing to have a broad coalition that supports it across the board which makes it not just a one-time win but something that lasts forever perfect and now we can talk about your other yes on three (laughs) so we're gonna go as long as we can about retro gaming now i know how would we have left for time so tomb raider so i first played tomb raider so sad you'll usually be I think we might be able to go until 6.30. I first played Tomb Raider at BJ's on... Did you ever go to BJ's as a kid and they had the the TV set up? You could go in and you could play the PS1 games on the TVs at BJ's. Can't say I have. Walmart, even. Can't say I have. So that's when I first played Tomb Raider. When I was growing up, my interest was far more vested in um, active time battle system games. So your Final Fantasies and your, your Parasite Eve, which... I mean, Aya's pretty badass, and she can liberate her mitochondria and take the form of, like, something so great. Eve is really just, like, igniting people <laughs> via their mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell. And the whole game was just, I mean, to see her just use this strength and... Right. Well, I kind of relate with Aya it's a lot. It's been a long time, though. I relate with her. actually played or seen the game played. Oh. Well... The game is so memorable for a few reasons. I did watch the entire thing though. Layout. It's it's finish. not it's not a you long game on purpose there. for the record. The game itself was a foray into. Um, it was made to be watched. There was gameplay, obviously, but huh, because really? of the content and the cutscenes, well, it was made right to be enjoyed, just as much as someone who was watching it, as much as someone could get from playing it. Yeah, it was. It didn't feel like watching someone play a video game. Everyone was engrossed watching our friend play it. It was, I mean, there was a lot. That makes a lot of sense now. Right. I mean, there's there's so much to be parsed from that game, too. Um, I always related with, um, I, I never know whether they call her Aya or Aya. I think it's technically Aya because her sister was Maya. Uh, Maya. So it must be Aya. Oh, God. Um, I always related with Aya because for the entirety of the game, she just has no idea what's going on. Like, half of her dialogue is just like, what? 
what, what I'm confused. What is happening? And I relate with her on that a lot. <laughs> but um, the game itself was very, very unique. The engine that the game used for combat was this combination of the kind of free range movement that you saw in other games. So let's say not quite Tomb Raider, definitely not. Tomb Raider was completely interactive. That was kind of combining almost these not quite tankish elements of Resident Evil with the active time role um, or turn-based combat of a Final Fantasy game mm -hmm. into a, an extremely unique battle system. And I think the battle system is underappreciated. Um, I'm looking to find other games that kind of utilize a system like that. Some people told me to check out um, uh, Vagrant Story, um, but I, I haven't. There was another game that came out in the 90s around then as well, but I never Sounds really familiar. got into it. Yeah, I, there was a couple others as well. I think Ark the Lad utilized that, that system. I too. loved Ark the Lad, and but it wasn't quite the same. Like... Arc the Lad was you moved around the field, and then when you wanted to engage in an action in, in a turn-based combat, you know, you had a range of movement or a range of accuracy and reach. Um, you set the commands you wanted to do, and you could line it up so you hit multiple targets. Oh, but okay. at the same time, the there lad? was something... Arc the Lad. Um, there was something so unique about Parasite Eve and the way they did it that I just... I haven't been able to find something quite like it yet. Um... Admittedly, I also might be incredibly soft on Parasite Eve, and I mentioned this to you uh, when coming in here, but it's because the game is pretty much the scrapped bits and pieces of Final Fantasy VII, hmm. which, and I've which always make, been a huge fan of Final Fantasy VII. It doesn't series. really make too much sense to me, given the story of Final Fantasy VII. Well, the original Final, Fantasy, Final VII Fantasy VII was so completely different than what the final product was when they first wanted to create Final Fantasy VII. The image that they had in their mind was something based in the city of New York, where a private investigator type character is going about, um, you know, the, the storyline. So they wanted those elements, and they ended up doing something so completely different. I mean, it is set in a metropolitan city for a big chunk of the game. And I guess you could say Clad was a soldier of some kind. Not quite a private eye, but like a, you know, a disenfranchised soldier. Mm -hmm. But the parts of it that they couldn't use. So this whole notion of it being set in New York, um, Aya as a rookie um, officer for the New York PD, and this very real-world feel, with the exception of the mitochondria uh, revolting, which for those who don't know, the game is about the mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell, just being fed up because technically they were parasitic organisms that our early cells had a symbiotic relationship with hmm. that then incorporated into our cells. So mitochondria, and this is this is real, mitochondria, they have their own DNA, but they reproduce with our cells. So the premise of Parasite Eve, and mind you, it's not accurate. <laughs> There's a lot of flaws. But the premise is that the mitochondria are finally tired of dealing with humanity shtick so they just re they revolt wow. they evolve very quickly they um essentially I don't, I don't remember any of this they use the role as the powerhouse of the cell to pretty much cause powerhouse. people to spontaneously combust by overheating them and um they mutate other creatures and that was like the mythical aspect of parasite eve mm -hmm. they didn't have magic either like uh like final fantasy did you had parasite powers because you played, you played um, Aya Bray, who, as I mentioned, is this, at the time, a 25-year-old New York Police Department rookie. And, it's always the rookie. Right. Like, Classic trope. It, there are so many like played tropes in the game, but it's still so fun. Um, and yeah, the entire premise is that you're trying to figure out what's going on. You have no idea what's going on. Everything's confusing. My general feel of Aya is she's probably miserable Didn't without father or something turn into one of the main villains. Father of not quite. No, no. In in, in Parasite Somebody's Eve, father, right? Maybe it's Parasite Eve too. Parasite. Somebody's somebody's father, or that was a scientist, turned into one of the main. That's demons. that's a Resident Evil trope. And Resident, sure? yes, because Resident Evil had one of the. No, it was it was Parasite Eve. 
No, it was, that was Resident Evil because one of the scientists in, injected himself with the G virus, right? And then had five different mutated forms. Well, well, well that much I remember, but it was someone's Parasite Eve. Yeah, no, father. no, he was the father in Resident Evil. You're thinking of Resident Evil. The scientist was the father. He mutated himself. He then tried to impregnate his daughter so they would have like this terrible G virus offspring baby. Resident Evil, another terribly horrific game that came out of the 90s. Also extremely fun to this day if you like terrible camera angles and hard to use controllers. Oh, but yeah. good storyline. really good. Um, GameCube. Resident... Well, when you say Resident Evil I for think... GameCube, which game did you play? Resident Evil for GameCube? Was it a remake of the original? Yes. All right, so they probably fixed the camera or the camera and the controller controls. The original one for PlayStation when it came out was so bad mm-hmm. that the largest complaint people had with it, like the reason why some people just stopped playing it was because of the controls. But it was such a good game that it still caught on. Um, I finally got into it when Resident Evil 4 came out because that was very fun. The controllers didn't give me a migraine. Oh, or the controls I, didn't give me a migraine, I rather. I did get Parasite even Resident Evil confused, I guess. That's okay. Um, there are similar elements to both. Yeah. With one being a virus, a the other time. one just being straight up mitochondria. One thing I remember very clearly, though, was Dino Crisis, which we'll get to after. But oh, Dino Crisis, yes. So, yeah, let me just finish up on Parasite Eve, uh, and then we can jump to Dino Crisis. But, yeah, so there was a, uh, a parental aspect to Parasite Eve, but that was um, mitochondrial Eve. So, another real-life real science fact for you, but... All women share a mitochondrial common ancestor. And the game tried to play up that fact by being like, well, you know, Eve is trying to... And spoilers alert, spoiler alert for a game that came out 21 years ago. But Eve is trying to have the ultimate being. Hashtag lashback. It's okay. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Eve is trying to have the ultimate being as it's referred to in the game, which is a creature that is like pure mitochondria, free of paternal mitochondria. Because I guess um, paternal figures, so the fathers, they have mitochondria that's, I guess you could say it's tainted. It's different. And in the lore of the game, that different mitochondria um is able to prevent humanity from getting totally wiped out so eve tries to have a a baby using manufactured um spermazoa ah yes this is sounding more familiar now and then you end up with like this terribly terribly horrifying looking almost humanoid creature that has that's what it was and you fight it above a tank you uh, you fight it aboard a tanker yes and yeah and an elevator right well the elevator is actually um that was the secret boss, if you're thinking of the Chrysler building. Uh, it was like a big elevator. Just You were on the elevator for most of the boss fight. And then on a train, maybe? Not that one. I mean, in Parasite Eve, you're, you're not on a train. You're on a carriage at one point fighting Eve. And you're not on an elevator. You're in the Chrysler building fighting the true purebred. But Maybe that's what it was. I mean, it was... I'm going to make you replay it. How about that? Yeah, definitely. You should. <laughs> but I know you really want to get to Dino Crisis. So oh, my God. One of the it. best games of all time. Ever. Now, r- refresh my memory on this okay. one. Dino Crisis. That had an arcade component to it, right? Uh, an arcade component? Right. Or am I thinking of... Another? I don't believe so. No, it was... So it was never released in the arcades as well? I don't think so. Dino Crisis was Resident Evil with dinosaurs. Yeah, that much I knew. I swear I remember playing a game like that in the arcades, and that was the only place I played it. It was the most fun I've ever had in a video game to this day. It was everything I've ever wanted in a video game ever. And people have been begging for a remake of Dino Crisis forever. I think there's finally now some rumblings that we might get one at some point be careful what you wish for because they've remade other games and they've been terrible well hopefully the final fantasy 7 one is good because <laughs> it's taking a long time oh god Resident it's gonna be terrible remake big news so now i'm just waiting for the dino crisis remake because it was you, <sighs> you you break into the facility you fly in by chopper you break into the facility it starts at night uh the, the facility it's basically jurassic park that you break into it is, there's a lot of similarities to the architecture and the structures in Jurassic Park while maintaining its own unique identity. Mm-hmm. The dinosaurs are incredible. The, the T-Rex 
when the the T Rex crashes through the building and is just chasing you through the building, and then its head pops in. I do remember that one correctly. Actually, I do remember that. That is incredible. And then the Velociraptor that jumps through the glass that you think is just standing there, and then oh no, it was it was the the one way glass. Oh, one way glass. There's, there's the, yeah, there's this amazing scene, one of the most iconic scenes in video game history. That exists in Resident as, Evil too. Uh, right. Yeah, spooky. it's it's one way glass, but in Dino Crisis. Wait, was it Resident Evil that that was in, or was that Silent Hill? It's well, it's Capcom, so they pretty much just did a reskin. Yeah, of Yeah, you know what? Evil. That's probably it's probably Resident Evil. Dinosaurs. Just for that knowledge alone, because <laughs> there's a scene, yeah, where you're like just walking by in Resident Evil and. You know something's going to jump out of it, mm-hmm. and it does. So, yeah, um, I could see that taking place because of it, it being a Capcom game. Yeah. But, no, you know, what? I, I do remember course. playing Dino Crisis. Crawling under the fence. I'll never forget that, too. That was they, – they actually – if you crawl under the fence, you were safe for a little bit. That was I nice. loved vintage retro game elements like that. Oh, if you yeah. crawl under the face, the fence, you're safe. Oh, no, there's it's a there, gate. Yeah. I can't cross it. Got to find a whole new path around it. I mean, I have a key, but... And there were copies, too. There were copies. There were raptors. No, but the, a, ra- a velociraptor definitely crashed through one-way glass at some point in the game and scared the bejeebus out of me. I'll never forget that. I can picture the game. The it raptor was very brightly jumps. colored. Yeah. 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 And then you're in the helicopter, and then you're shooting dinosaurs with RPGs, and you have heavy machine guns and semi-automatics <laughs> and little pistols, and you're finding ammo and key cards... And you're solving puzzles. It's just incredible. I mean, you could do a whole episode dedicated to 90s games for the oh, PS1. Yeah. I mean... Final Fantasy VIII. Do you love it or hate it? Final Fantasy VIII, I loved. Oh, I really? mean, I prescribed to the theory ah, that Squall died after the first uh, after That's the right. First yeah, disc. You, you did mention that. Right, like that's after Squall theory. gets impaled by Adia. Uh, spoiler alert for a game that's 20 years old. I know. Um, <laughs> after Squall gets impaled by um, her um, ice limit... Allegedly, he just dies because everything else that happens from that disc on is completely different. All of a sudden, Renoa is much more into Squall as like the princess being into the night trope. Um, the monsters are less realistic and more Final Fantasy based mythical and magic is more prevalent. So it's a theory that I think I think Square officially said, nah, it's it's not legit. But I want to okay. believe just because of how much sense it makes. Right. And it makes the gameplay much, like, more enjoyable for me. Crazy fan theories. I mean, the junction system was extremely creative, too. And mm-hmm. I like that because it took a traditional way of doing turn-based combat and kind of flipped the script. Once you got used to it, it was awesome. I'm like, right. yeah. But it, it was definitely a learning curve, a big learning curve, which I think was the issue with a lot of people. A lot of people didn't like or didn't or appreciate or like the learning curve. Right, right, right. Well, you know, the Steam remake... Um, it There's tried a Steam to fix. Remake? Oh my god! Yeah, I have. So if you ever are we Steam friends, uh, we should be. All right. Well, if you ever look at my Steam profile, I think I have like 280 hours logged to Final Fantasy VIII, and I'm only on the third disc because I am a huge fan of um, Triple Triad, and uh, I would spend hours just playing it. But in the Steam remake, I learned that they have a mode where at the very beginning of the game, if you want, and it comes built into the remake, you can just, all of your characters come at level 99 with maxed out stats. You can get oh. every magic because some people want to play it just for the story I love elements. Yeah. They don't actually want to play the game for Ballum the gameplay. They just want to enjoy it. Balam Garden? Yeah. Uh, Balam was pretty cool. I mean, I like the idea of but I like that way, so. essentially a giant college university that, ups and turns into a battleship like yeah and then engages with other college universities i mean really only engages with one because poor trivia got nuked like right away mm-hmm. but um so yeah, final I fantasy was a good game but story it's been a while i mean i want to like i want to dive into like the real classics that some people don't even know exist like oh, like well, that's not a, that's not a real classic that's like uh that's like a that's like an indie or an underground classic what final fantasy 8 
Absolutely not. That no. was mainstream. No, that's not what I meant. I mean, you, oh. you said you wanted to dive into more obscure titles. Right. I'm saying like I wanted to like break away from the mainstream things and talk about like Air Guys because okay. I love Air Guys. Have I ever told you about Air so, Guys? Okay. That, that, well, that's that's what I mean as far as like indie or underground. Cause I, right. I, like I the Wild West of gaming of in the 90s was that they were right. doing things like this. What the heck is Air Guys? Oh, my God. So we have to – I'm going to bring it in one day and we can play it just so you can see. So Air Guys I think came out in 97. And when that came out, it was... Yeah, look it up. Oh, I'm sorry. It's E-H-I-R-G-E-I-Z. It's probably completely spelled wrong, but... What is it? E-H-R-G-I-E-Z. Oh, wow. I just mixed up the E and the I. Not bad. So, Air Guys came out during the era when fighting games were really oh. big. Like, people were getting into Tekken and um so soul not, caliber not i'm sorry masters, soul blade at this point not masters Edge. of Terascasi. what's that not star wars masters of Terascasi. sorry <laughs> so it was a fighting game similar to they talk about in solo by the way oh do they yeah i have yet to see that still the love interest is a master of Terascasi. ah well so on this they take this came out during the time when like soul edge slash soul blade was big um tekken was still like a thing that people really loved not that they don't love it now but like oh, yeah, when tekken 2 came out and people were like yeah. yeah so this entire game is it's a fighting game that incorporates final fantasy characters into it in a tekken like tekken like setting there were three parts to the game you had this game this element which was uh the tekken combat engine with like Final Fantasy characters and uh, a slew of other original characters. You had another game, which was where you just did mini games. It was just a game of mini games. Oh. And you had the third part of the game where it was a dungeon adventure where you played as two characters, really? both, um, uh, what are they? Uh, archaeologists. And they go into this dungeon and it also used RPG like elements in that it was kind of like Parasite Eve, but instead of it being turn-based combat, it, you just ran around and you tried to not die. Like, it was active active combat. That's interesting. And a lot of the items used in the game, like, you equipped a materia, you equipped a, you know, classic Final Fantasy VII era weaponry, among other things, and you essentially scaled this dungeon in this alternate universe that I guess you fall into when you're exploring the ruins. And it was such a creatively fun game and there's a bit of a um, cult status surrounding it. So I don't think I can get it as easily anymore. It's I still have my copy, but, you know, I had it when I was 10. And as such, it could be in better shape. So I would like to buy this um, if given the chance again. But I'm going to bring in the copy I do have, and we can play it one day just so you can get a feel for it. Um, but yeah, you know, other great classics that came out in that time, other than Air Guys, you had Soul Edge slash Soul Blade, depending on if you had a home release or an arcade version. Um, Metal Gear. Oh my God. Metal Gear Metal Solid. Solid. It okay. changed, that, that changed well, we could everything. We could do a whole episode about that. Yeah. Metal Gear Solid did change everything. I think we talk about it at least Stairwell, once per episode that I'm on. Tower. <laughs> Stealth. Although it was, although it was pretty Bandana. obnoxious. Yeah, although it was pretty obnoxious. And there's another YouTuber who talks about this. Is running up the stairs in the tower and trying to shoot at the at the genome soldiers that are running after you. And like you're you're oh, trying to point yeah. up and it's like you're pointing up and it's not working and you're pointing back. Yeah, unless you, you were in first person. Actually, could you, you do first be, person no, shooting in GS1? No. You couldn't. That came later. Right. Mm. Uh, yeah, you just kinda of ran around in a circle like yeah. you had to wasting be at, like, your clip. You had to be at exactly the right angle and I don't know. I'm just really excited for the Resident Evil two remake. Because Let's seeing, hope they don't use the same controls. Right, seeing the seeing the RC the RCPD and the city hall, and all the and the statue mm -hmm. of Lady Justice. Oh my God! Seeing those images, you saw the trailer, right? I have not. You'll have to show me when we get out of here. Okay. Yeah, you got to watch the Resident Evil two trailer. We actually we go over it in the last episode. Oh. Zero one one. I'll have to check it out. Or I'll have to listen and hear more. Yeah, we're gonna put it up. When it comes out, yes. oh my God, we are over. Yeah. So I think we've I think we've pretty much 
fun. Is, is there was there one more PS2? I think we've covered all. The oh no, there PS2 no games. no. There's so many PS1 games we could touch on. I mean, I mean PS1. We didn't even PS2. touch games like Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Ogre. Well, ta- I never played Tactics. <sighs> You're lost. I never played Tactics. Such a good game. Such a cr- like once again another example of grounds, game devs breaking into some really on. unique elements that honestly could be replicated again, and and made so future people can enjoy it. I mean, I'm glad we get to talk about Dino Crisis. <laughs> Dino Crisis <laughs> and Parasite, and Parasite Eve. Eve. Yes, Dino Crisis, Parasite Eve, Resident Evil, Resident Evil Two, Soul Reaver, Final Fantasy, yeah, Soul Reaver, Final Brave Fencer Musashi. Oh, Soul Reaver, yes, Soul Reaver, Soul Reaver. That was another one where I played a decent amount of that. We all used to we all used to go to each other's houses and play video games. Soul Reaver used that was um, an amazing game. I Soul played Reaver. a fair amount of that, but never finished it. If I recall, Soul Reaver did use the um, Tomb Raider engine. Good call with Soul Reaver. It was a yeah, good if one. you don't know what Soul Reaver is, go look it up because you're missing out. They should make a. Do you think they should make a remake of that? Soul um, they're great. still making Soul Reaver games. Are they? The series is still going on. I mean, now the primary character is focused on Kane and not on Raziel. But Raziel, yeah. Raziel, I think the most recent one was another Kane-based game. Um, I have this issue with games that tend to keep making uh, newer oh, yeah. and newer. Um, Steam. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can get it on Steam. Uh, I have an issue with certain games that keep going, though, in their series because you eventually reach a point where you either do it well and it all fits nicely in a, in a beautiful little package with a nice bow or you do something terrible like you come out with the third um, game in the Parasite Eve series, mm-hmm. which is completely terrible and disconnected from everything Dino and Crisis just two was destroyed the series. The first one. But... Um, I feel the same about Soul Reaver. I, I worry that if they keep going, they're going to like destroy the series. I didn't even know there was on. another one after Legacy of Kane. Nope. I think they had like, well, there was one after that, like a continuation of that one. I think there were two after that that focused just on Kane as a character. And um, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's one in development now. Another one. Ape Escape was good. Yeah, I was just thinking of Ape Escape. Were you really? Yeah, yeah, because Ape Escape has uh, they, they incorporate that in then MGS three, a little throwback to that. Oh, that's right, they do. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Ape Escape was a fun. Ape one. Escape was the best. But Tony now Hawk's we're getting into Pro the Skater. cutesy titles too. Yes, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Oh God, I played so many games. How many hours did you spend just exploring? Ah, oh, so many. Yeah. I had a, I had to play. What was your favorite character? Tapes. Did you have one, or did you play I, a custom? I can't remember. It's been so long. Officer I never really Dick. Got into skating. <laughs> Bam, I know. No, Bam Margera wasn't around then. Dude. They had, they had a game like that. I remember it was actually a I demo. I used Tony Hawk, the, the default whatever, default character. I mean, I I feel most people played with Tony Hawk, but like Officer Dick was just one of those like running gag joke characters that you know once you had it, you just played as him. But I think in Tony Hawk Two, they had a demo for a bicycle based game. I can't remember who. The big name on that game was, though, because uh, clearly wasn't big enough to keep it floating. But no, that was that's a good one, too. And you also you're now we're getting into like some of the more like what was, what was the band that did the 99 Luft, uh, 99 Luft Balloons cover? That was in. 20- oh, Nina. No, no. Nina wasn't no, the one no. who actually did 99 Luft Balloons. Um, oh, God, I'm drawing a blank. I don't they know. They had the, the famous song and it's just been so long. Don't forget Crash Bandicoot, Spire the Dragon. Um I never played Spyro. But... Shame, shame. Well, <laughs> Spyro is another example. Crash Bandicoot was pretty good. I think that's another game I played the demo of. Right. Oh, Twisted Metal. Um, oh, yeah, but uh, 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 Spyro is another example of a game that has gone completely off kilter, and I'm very afraid to see what happens. Because Spyro eventually became like... Goldfinger. I would have never... Oh, Goldfinger. Goldfinger, yeah. Goldfinger, as made famous by Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. I don't know. Hey, I happened to like Goldfinger before that because so, I grew up with brothers who listened to music in the nineties. Goldfinger was always um, it's always sad. It's all right. What what so did Spyro turn into? Spyro. I'm drawing a blank. Um, air no Spyro turned into this series that kids are really into right now, where you play as a variety of different um, anthropomorphic characters. Um, if I told you, you'll be mortified. Um, but that's what happened to Spyro. Digimon? No. Oh, also, that's a good one. It's a good one. Digimon World 1 came out in the 90s. Oh. That game was great. Some of the original Monster Hunters, too. But were those Japan-only releases? Or what was Monster Hunter? For PS1? No, you can, there were there was a Monster Hunter game for PS1. Okay. I mean, Monster Hunter World, Monster Hunter World was amazing. Mm. 
I refuse. I refuse to trade it in because I know they're going to come out with that. I need to catch up on some of the DLC. But Gran Turismo. Mm. You know, I I did spend a lot of time Jet's at got, friends' Jet's houses. Got. Huh? Mo- Jet Moto. Oh. That was a good one too. I was going to say playing Twisted Metal. Twisted Metal. That was a game you could just let out all Twisted of your frustration metal. and angst. I love that game to this day, but I stopped paying attention to the story. Yeah. Like I don't want the story There's to like. There's a story. Yeah, I mean, technically, I mean, depending on the game, the story is totally different. Um, also, depending on who you play as, I guess, changes up the lore. I know oh. technically Marcus Kane, who did Roadkill uh, in the second Twisted Metal, it, it's all in his head. Everything that happened is just in his head and he's in oh, a wow. hospital. We're, we're getting into existential conversation now. So I feel like we should wrap up before we get into it. I know it's not PlayStation, but we should wrap up before we start talking about GoldenEye. Because we GoldenEye! Get into, we get into oh, cows. now we're talking about bad controls. Sacred cows. I always, I, Why is it so sacred? I, somehow I find a way to mention that every episode. <laughs> every episode that we do, somehow GoldenEye comes up. And this is no exception. So, favorite... All-time favorite PS1 retro game. Impossible. Um, let me think. Let Top me think. three. Top three? All Top right. Three. Metal Gear Solid. Yep. Final Fantasy Tactics. Yep. And... Oh... Is Metal Gear Solid number one? Uh, in no particular order. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I'm, I'm basic. Metal Gear Solid, Final Fantasy Tactics... Oh, Parasite Eve. Okay. Final Fantasy VII is in the top five, though. I mean, okay. that game, like... Can you hit the close button? Oh, yeah. There's your close button. No power. No, 20%. We're fine. I just realized that people can see me on that camera. Nobody came in. They anyway. can see me so fidgety. For, for some reason, it's a slow Tuesday. I don't know. I see, like... Two? Yeah. That's it. Hello, Sam and Justine. I was here with Brooke. I, it, it must be Brooke. I don't know. Right. I'm boring now. I've been on the show three what's, times. No one cares about me. What's wrong with us? I talk about politics and I rant about video games. We got like we got like a hundred views and Brooke came on. A bunch of likes. Well, okay. I guess I'll just get good. Well, it's God. me. It's, it's obviously me too. I'm so heartbroken now. Huh? So am I. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, what the hell? All right. Top three favorite. You go. Okay. We just, we, we, we have to get Brooke in here to just stand here in the background. <laughs> No, there's a third mic. There's a third oh. mic. I'll just grab this one too. Double the. Brooke content. comes in. No, but you're. I think you're still number one as far as popularity, though. As I, if, if I don't know looking, why. <laughs> if we're looking strictly at likes and views, I think you're still in the top spot. Hannah McCabe closing in close behind you. Good. And then I have to recheck the numbers, but I think it's so. Yeah, it's also. You have some popularity to your name as well you're more, you're more of a known why well i mean you're in politics you're in the public you're a public figure you have a check mark next to you. i just it's all good yes i have i have the blue check mark it's true you have the blue check mark on twitter <laughs> no it's on facebook so, on facebook oh, oh facebook yeah Not twitter well no because twitter um pulled the check mark before oh. i had the chance to get it because i got facebook's right after twitter pulled theirs what do you mean twitter pulled theirs they had that whole check mark controversy because yeah. of um people with checkmark accounts using their platform to say some pretty um, less than desirable and rather problematic content. So Twitter realizing that like this was kind of not an isolated incident, but something happening mainstream pulled the verification process for getting a checkmark. So now it's very, very difficult to get a checkmark on Twitter. But on Facebook, I happen to actually, <laughs> to get my Facebook checkmark, I actually had to meet with people from Facebook. Really? It happened by like pure luck. Yeah. And okay. then I figured, well, I was there. So we'll have to talk more about that after. Did you ever give your top three? Dino Crisis and Dino Crisis 2 together because it's, you have to, it's basically just a continuation of just the Say the, the Dino story. Crisis series. Yeah, the Dino Crisis. Well, I mean, the third one doesn't, the third one doesn't count. I don't even know if there was a third one. I think I got confused with Parasite. Okay. Just Dino Crisis 1 and 2. It's Parasite Eve 3 that doesn't count. I mean, Parasite Eve 3 was. Okay. Dreadful. So, so Dino Crisis one and two. Resident Evil Added. two. <laughs> Resident Evil two. Oh right, Resident Evil. And Silent Hill. Which we we never even about. touched about Silent Hill. The first one scared the insert expletive here out of me. <laughs> Sorry, nothing will top Silent Hill three for me. Oh, you know what? That Their was, rendition that was of of a god at the end being half formed. Uh, 
I I I yeah. I've got into it like the best time to get into a terrible game too, which was like midnight in the middle of the night with no yeah. lights on. So I played I played one, two, four, I watched everyone play I watched my friend play through all of almost all of three. Three was on the table daddy, right? <laughs> table daddy. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think that was three. That was messed up. Actually, no. Was table daddy three? I think that might have been two. No, three was three was table daddy, I think. Well, Cause, who cause was the, the main character? Oh yeah, it was three then. Yeah. Three had the girl. But uh, two though will always be, like, the two will always be the goat. I think the goat. Yeah, because it's just like just the and in three, <gasps> three they use the main character's fears and PTSD as symbols. And three was I mean for a lot of people three is the goat, but I think collectively, collectively two I think had because three had a lot of I mean if you look at three three had a lot of linear, um, pathways. In right. It. Yeah. If I remember correctly, and two had this sort of open, really eerie open uh, element to it. It had it had the psychological terror, and I'm talking about terrorizing the players that four did. And four got a lot of flack because it was supposed to be another game, and they threw the Silent Hill title on it. But as far as sheer psychological terror, graphics wise, I will never. I four was the only one where I had to put down the controller, get up and leave and walk out of my house because right. I was so disturbed by the floating head that fell outside of my window, my apartment window. The Wait, what? The screaming severed head that slowly floated by my apartment window as I was looking out to see who was parked next door in Silent Hill 4, the room. Oh, I got, like, concerned. I'm like, wait, like, your actual place of residence had a decapitated head? That's the thing with the room. No, the Silent Hill 4, the room. No, but 2, yeah, 2, just the, the, the open element to the puzzles, the, the sense of urgency to get out of there before a pyramid head came to to sexually assault more of the dolls. <laughs> uh, that's yeah, right. Pyramid Head was uh, the most oh, disturbing villain in any video game. One I don't know about that. I wouldn't say the most villains. disturbing. But... Well, I mean, dragging that big sword, the big butcher's knife, when it turns from... That wasn't scary to me. It... Really? Yeah. Pyramid Head was never scary. He was silly to me. Sorry, like, compared to other game villains, like Pyramid Head... Eh. He's just iconic. He is iconic. I'll give him that. He is a very recognizable well, I think, character. I think the internet sort of made him a silly character. With all, with all, the, with all the funny cosplays. Well, eventually you get desensitized to pretty much everything. Right, but... right, yeah. So, I mean, I, well, now Slenderman is more terrifying than I think. Oh, my God. Slenderman is yeah. not terrifying. It's You have the psychological immunity to this stuff, Ben. <laughs> I'm just very scarred because, well because i was no because i was i was terrified of the ring the, so i had to get a what house. yeah the ring scared me too the fact that she came through the tv that i don't know maybe it's just me no no i mean i i, I do think it's scary i'm not trying to be like oh i'm it's not afraid in, of anything integrating technology right i mean uh, and also at the time in, in fairness at the time that horror factor was a lot more like yeah you know it was. It's different than if you go back to it now, for a number of reasons. But the, yeah, yeah, a lot of the that siren, never scared me. The siren um, Hill too. Like, so like the si when that siren went off, I like literally, I I almost cried once because like the siren. I'm like, I'm not ready. The siren went off, and then the wall started peeling, and I'm like, pyramid heads are gonna be right around that corner, dragging that big ass knife, the big ass butcher sword, the Buster sword. <laughs> I was thinking around that too. the corner, dragging a bunch of mannequins behind them. The only time that a game actually scared me was it was it was Resident Evil Four, and four. I I'll explain. I was your doing... right hand comes off. Hold on, <laughs> hold on. Let me say it again. Your right hand comes off. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, the first time I played Resident Evil Four, I did a one day speed run at okay. a friend's house. Um, I have a friend. Uh, in Charlton, who's also involved in municipal business. Closing thoughts, because we're going to wrap up. Right, right. Okay, then I'll, I'll, I'll keep it short. So, this is my first time playing RE4. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm at the point where we first meet... Oh, my God. The first time we meet the Regenerator. And it's probably... Where do you stand? Oh, my God. Stop. <laughs> um, it's like 3 a.m. And... I'm playing this game. My friend lives in the middle of, like, 
he, he's right behind a lake, lake surrounded by woods. Uh -huh. And he lived in a room where half of his walls were just glass doors because it was like a converted, like that kind of room. Or it was a good mix. So I'm at the scene where the regenerator comes out. Which one's the regenerator again? Regenerator is the terrifying one that um, just makes like the... Um, like it sounds like someone who can't breathe well noise and they don't die unless you shoot the parasites out of their body they have like four las plagas in their body and the only way to actually stop them is if you get all four but you can only see all four with um uh the heat sensor scope of a rifle that one yeah uh, they also have like the iron maiden oh, form with yes. spikes yeah and if they yeah, get too close okay. they yeah, just bite you terrifying. yeah so it's 3 a.m i'm playing this game I encounter that. I didn't notice my friend vanished. And okay. right as like we get to the point, my friend bangs on the glass window. Oh, jeez. Really? Yeah, it was terrible. That so that was the only time that. that I was actually hardcore scared from a video game. And it wasn't like, you know, he didn't help to make it worse. But yeah. Spoiler alert, I also had to stop and turn the TV off when I... The, the second time I had to turn the console off and leave my house... Did you ever do that? Mm. When you look at the peephole and there's that like, stuffed bunny sitting down on the bed. And you look. And you look. And, and you the look, guy. And, and, and the stuffed bunny is always there in the same position because it's a stuffed bunny. Right. And then like the 11th time or something that you look through the peephole, just goes be a pervert and spy on your neighbor. That pink stuffed bunny is literally pointing at you. Oh, no. I'm thinking the, of something else. Then. The peephole. I don't remember that. And then there was when you, spoiler alert, when you, when you realize that the the ghost like the main villain is buried in your wall like, like crucified in your wall like mummified and crucified in your wall and that's why your apartment's haunted good yeah. people wonder why everything's terrible because we grew up with games like this yeah yeah right <laughs> so esp012 any final thoughts uh no. Oh yes on three. Oh yeah, I guess that's a oh, very yes, we we're we're so far from that conversation. This this episode ran over by like half an hour. Yes, vote yes on three. If exactly rights and liberties are your cup of tea. Yes. And um yes also three, um what's that? I was just saying vote yes on three, please. Oh yeah, yes, please. So we can um, actually exist in public and use bathrooms in public. Thank you. Vote yes on Please, three. Thank you. you send me information Let's about Atlantis, and yes. I will send you some information about casually great vintage 90s games. Okay. Awesome. ESP012, Jordan Evans, Retro Gaming, Quebec Le Tepe. Woo. Political update. Vote yes on three. We out. <laughs>